You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, I'm Robert Wright. I run the Non-Zero Foundation, which produces all the shows on Blogging Heads TV and Meaning of Life TV. We host a variety of voices, some of them pretty unorthodox, and we encourage dialogue that is sharp but civil. We think fostering constructive conversation is especially important now that America and the world are looking kind of fragile. If you agree that our mission is important, I hope you'll consider helping us shoulder the cost. You can do that by becoming one of our cherished patrons at patreon.com slash nonzero foundation. That's N-O-N-Z-E-R-O-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N. Thanks. We need your help, and we deeply appreciate it. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined on Blogging Heads TV. I'm your host, R.A. Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is someone who probably needs no introduction if you've ever looked at this website or listened to this podcast before, um, and that is Robert Wright. Uh, so, Bob, introduce yourself in whatever way you want to. Uh, I wouldn't underestimate the extent to which people might actually need to have me introduced. I can imagine looking at the website without knowing who I am. <laughs> um, anyway, I am Robert Wright. I'm co-founder of Blogging Heads TV and Meaning of Life TV, president of the Non-Zero Foundation, which now operates them. And therefore, we should say by way of full disclosure, your boss. Right. If so, people, so. if people uh, sense undue deference <laughs> being directed toward me, that could explain that. Um, I've written books, most recently, Why Buddhism is True. Um, and I've written other things. And, uh, oh, and I have a show, uh, The Right Show, which, like your show, is sometimes on blogging at TV and sometimes on Meaning of Life, right? That's true. Yeah. Most That's, of my stuff ends up on blogging heads, but yeah. occasionally it's also on meaning of life TV. You, you also are the editor writer of the non-zero newsletter. Oh, right. Um, other, other, I think that's most of the things <laughs> to plug. Um, but so the, so, but this is culture determined. Uh, this is, this is my show. Uh, and uh, yeah, as we said before, um, you're my boss. So, so everyone should, should keep that in mind uh, throughout this discussion. But uh, I asked you on to do this because uh, you know, I've been watching uh, uh, basically all of your content uh, <laughs> over the past year or so, and particularly the stuff you've been Not doing. by choice, but uh, <laughs> because you're getting paid to right. process it. But yeah. uh, particularly the stuff you've been doing with Mickey Kaus uh, weekly uh, during the pandemic. And you seem uh, pretty uh, pessimistic or at least concerned about um, uh, Joe Biden's electoral prospects in November. Um, I'm more sanguine about them. <laughs> I think it's um, close to a sure thing that's going to win. So I thought it'd be interesting to uh, talk to you about it and try to, you know, make make my case that things, you know, p- people who are just subscribing to the the right show and watching you and Mickey, they may be getting, you know, they may be having anxiety attacks or they may be feeling uh, dis- a sense of despair because of the coming uh, <laughs> coming election. And, and I, I want to just like, you know, boost people up and. Mm-hmm. Let them know that I think I think things will be okay. Although, of course, you know we're we can't really know, and maybe I'll, I'll be totally embarrassed in a couple months uh, after the election. But um, you yeah, have I think, ex- you have experience with that, don't you? That's true. That's right. I made some very wrong predictions in the past, especially about Trump. But I mean, so did a number of people. Well, no, but you predicted he would drop out of the race or something, right? That's true. That's true. And I still actually think 
he may resign after he, the election. He may still drop out of the 2016 race. You think it's not too late? <laughs> Uh, well, it would be interesting if you know if, if he was in full command of his faculties, if he could like undo what he's done. I don't think his, his life Careful is really... throwing around those kind of allegations if you're a Biden supporter. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I, I don't. I don't think you know. And that's actually that's an interesting angle into this because you know uh, would Trump run again if he could? If he could go back uh, <laughs> three and a half years, four and a half years, whatever. I guess it was the mid 2015, so it's almost. Um, more than five years when he, you know, first announced, would he, would he do it again? And why did he run in the first place? And why does he, why is he running for reelection? And what, what does he actually want? And, you know, Trump, as we've discussed, uh, guests and I on this show uh, repeatedly, he's a very strange person. He's unlike any other uh, politician in American history, really, and doesn't want the kind of the normal things that a normal politician wants. So the normal, so the normal president runs for reelection because they all run for reelection and they want, you know, for a variety of reasons, they have policies they want to implement. Uh, they want, you know, there's a lot, there's like a huge mach- machinery around them that's geared up to get them reelected. You know, it's, I guess it's fun being president. You get to like travel around and, and meet people and you're the most powerful person in the world and all sorts of, you know, great things and people kiss your ass all the time. Um, but what does, you know, so some of those things Trump likes, like the ass kissing and being the most powerful person in the world. And then other parts of them, I think he doesn't uh, really care about, like, you know, like the policy or like uh, most of the power, actually. I think he more cares about about flattery than I think than he power. cares more about attention than power. On the other hand, the president has a greater ability to command attention than any other human, certainly in America and possibly on the planet. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, he, he you know, he's the central figure we everyone in America and probably most of the people in the world have been thinking about for the past uh, four years or so, and I'm sure he likes that. But but when you think about his strange psychology, what he actually likes, you know, he likes um, watching TV and seeing the people on TV talking about him and saying nice things about him. Um, he likes people kissing his ass. Uh, I think he just likes being talked about in general, kind of a right. no, I was going to no, say no, he was bad publicity. He'd rather than be saying nice things, I think, but he'd rather than be saying unkind things than saying nothing at all. Right, and that's you know a classic thing going back to like his rise and how he manipulated, you know, the, like the New York city tabloid press and stuff to, to get attention for himself. Um, but, and then he, he likes playing golf. Um, he likes, he likes doing the rallies. I think that's, he's probably happiest when he's doing the rallies. So are you still arguing that it's a close call, whether he actually wants to remain president or what? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of half jokingly said he might, just drop out or something. And, and, you know, uh, Mickey Cow suggested this as well, that he might, Cow said, um, he might use the, um, his acceptance speech at the RNC to announce that he was dropping out as sort of a giant twist to like a reality yeah, TV show. Yeah, how did that go? Dramatic twist. So that, so that didn't happen. Right. Um, but, okay, so what does he, but he doesn't care, he doesn't care about policy. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about the welfare of the American people. He doesn't care about the welfare of his supporters. He doesn't care about you know, either the supporters, you know, the MAGA people out there in the nation or kind of like the inner ring beyond the family and Jared, I would say, are the, you know, the people he cares about. I'm willing to stipulate that. Uh, and he, but he definitely doesn't care about policy. And, you know, if you had asked me, <laughs> probably most people, November 2016, like four years from now, is there going to be a, a wall or at least like most of a wall built along the Mexico border? I probably said, yeah, I think like this is the main thing he ran on was build the wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. It was like 
clearly Mexico wasn't going to pay for it, but like that was his main thing. And they're going to build that wall and like, it's going to be like crazy, but they're actually like, that's what he cares about. But like mm-hmm. the wall hasn't been built and we don't hear about the wall anymore. He doesn't seem to care. His supporters don't care. Um, they moved that's on to other surprising, things. Yeah. It, it is a little surprising to me that he's has, that his chances are as good as they are because there are a couple of things he really emphasized that he do and said it very clearly. And he had control of Congress for two years and he didn't do it. One is build a wall. The other is he's going to cancel Obamacare and replace it. He said he'd do these two things on the same day. And he said he would do them like within, I don't know, a month of uh, inauguration day. So, I mean, it was like what the one thing he has done is address the immigration problem in the sense of getting very aggressive, uh, with immigration law enforcement in a way right. that makes resident illegal immigrants uh, very uncomfortable. He has inflicted a lot of suffering on them. And I don't know whether that's discouraging immigration. So I don't know whether it has the practical effect that presumably he would, he would use to defend it, but he has inflicted a certain amount of suffering. And, yeah, and um, I, I should add that I would add that to the things that he enjoys in life is, inflicting suffering on his enemies or people he doesn't like, like, you know, people who are coming from Central America to <laughs> try to get a job in America. He does uh, seem to know. like inflicting suffering. There was this, this story about how when he was a kid, I mean, this was documented, I, I think, that uh, by some neighbor's testimony or something, he used to throw rocks at some, there was some ba- like toddler in a crib in the adjacent backyard, and he'd like throw rocks at them or something. I, he's not a, he's not a nice guy. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's, he's a naturally like, cruel person and, Okay, so what you want me to defend my concern? Well, I just okay. So what is he? So you know the the fourth the the fourth term the the second term. Um, there's not a lot that it seems like he actually wants to do in in the way that like a normal politician has like ideas for what they can do in the second term. Usually, the second term they get they accomplish less than what they do in the first term. And yeah, he didn't. A lot of the main things he said he wanted to do, he didn't accomplish. They got a big tax cut. And that was Paul Ryan's thing. I mean, he got, you know, either snookered by Paul Ryan or he just didn't care about getting his actual agenda passed, but they tried and failed to uh, get Obamacare repealed and they successfully got a big tax cut. And then they got the Supreme Court justices appointed and numerous lower court justices appointed. And, and then all the kind of like regulatory stuff that having Republicans in office would do, but Trump doesn't care about that stuff. Um, so yeah, so does he really does he really want to be doing this? But then also like, okay, let, if stipulate like if Trump did want to like be reelected, wouldn't he try to push through like a massive economic stimulus and start like sending checks to people? I mean, they did this once already, and it seemed to help at least somewhat with the the calamity. Well, but and, he he did. I mean, I mean, I didn't understand the politics of that particular issue. I would say that when Congress failed to extend the economic relief package. He did step in with partial relief via some kind of executive order or the equivalent thereof that got um, got people about half of what they had been receiving or something. So he did. This is the withholding thing where he it's like postponing. I forget how it worked. I think the number was three hundred dollars a month or so, or six hundred a month or something. I don't know, but he did something. Well, Look, there was he, there was not. He's not. Uh, so are we gonna are we gonna are, are we gonna Talk about whether he's actually going to drop out. I mean, we're no, I, I don't think here? I don't think he's going to drop out. But basically, I, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be doing this. He likes going. There's to the a rallies. lot about the job he doesn't want. Obviously, right. on balance, he wants the job. He sought it. He kept it. He's seeking it again. I, if he gets I, I it, he'll keep it. 
I think it's more by accident and kind of floating along with like going going with the, the course of the river kind of thing. Um, well, I agree that I, I do think when he initially announced that he was running, he probably thought very little chance of getting it, but I'll build the brand. I, I don't deny that. But, you know, a lot of politicians do that. How many of the people on that Democratic debate stage honestly thought they had like a better than 50 percent chance? Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But the difference is like Trump ran, you know, normal, like maybe, you know, um, Cory Booker ran so that someday he could be like appointed like secretary of education or whatever the hell he actually right. cares That's about. That's a common thing. Whereas Trump just did it so that he could like get attention and sell hats. So it, it's just like a weirder thing that usually doesn't happen. Well, or get attention and start a media property. I mean, where is Beto O'Rourke going with this? He's not going to get a cabinet position, he, but he wants to build the Beto brand. Or right. Beto well, band. I, it may actually be a rock and roll band. We don't know. <laughs> but but we can, I don't know, but I, the normal politician cares less about, like, just making money and getting attention to something than, like, advancing through the ranks in some way that's, like, within the system, where Trump is, like, an outsider to the system, which is, like, wants people okay. to pay attention to him, et cetera, et cetera. But, okay, but anyway, so this is all... In, in a way, this is all the side point. Like, okay, so what's going to happen? So I've, I've been saying for a while, and I think I maybe said on the show, that even before the pandemic, I thought any of the, you know, 27 or so Democrats who are running, if any of them were nominated, uh, that person would beat Trump, you know, including like Marion Williamson and and all the other, and like some of the other wackos. And I, I just thought it was because, you know, Trump, Trump won in this weird, you know, way. He, 46% to 48% he won. So it was a weird kind of triple bank shot thing. And the Trump base is not 46%. The Trump base is like 37%. And those are the the diehards who will vote for him, even if, you know, there are 2 million COVID casualties. His favorability rating has hovered a few points above that. But anyway, whatever. It's not not over 50 and it's not that close to 50. I agree. So whenever whenever there's a poll that's like asking some obvious, like a question where about Trump where the answer is obviously no, like, does Trump, is Trump like thoughtful and like, does he like consider the opinions of like experts when making decisions or something? The number of people who say yes are, is like 36, 37, 38% of people who are just like, they're, you know, it's like a quasi cultural personality kind of thing. They're with Trump, do or die. Um, and so there's, so 37% is not enough to, to win, even with the electoral college when there's only like, there's not really third party candidates to. Well, okay, but he did win, up. right? We know that this can work. He can win an election even though his base is not huge, right? We know that. Right. Okay, but one, he hasn't expanded his base at all since the well, election. Apparently, he didn't need to. It was big enough to get elected president. Well, it's only shrunk since then. And two, Hillary Clinton is not on the ticket. So, no, I think- but instead, we have somebody that many, many people, more and more people, have grave doubts about the cognitive competency of. I think it's 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 tough to have to uh, be an honest person and say I've grave doubts about Biden's cognitive con- competency, and I say I've grave doubts about Trump's cognitive competency as well. They, they uh, Biden seems a bit worse than Trump, but no, but they're different issues. Biden is clearly declining, and, and I don't want to make too big a deal. And I'm apologize to people who think if you support a candidate, you shouldn't say anything negative about them. That's just not my school of thought. I'm just more of a journalist than a, a partisan activist, but Biden is clearly declining. Of course, they're both but declining. The well. I'm, I'm declining. Everybody <laughs> over 50 is declining. No, I am. I notice it. But everybody over 50, certainly over 60, is declining. But, okay, but, but Trump, but Trump, Trump is Trump, as well. What? If you look at 
look at videos of Trump from four or five years ago. It's clear that he's declining as well. Do you remember during the debate, one of the debates in 2016, Hillary said something like, I'd be afraid, to, you know, to be in a world where Donald Trump is president and, and Trump said that's because you'd be in jail. Um, so it was like this, re- it was like a very, a very witty, a very witty comeback. Yeah. Can you imagine him today coming up with something like that? He just, he just rambles and goes around points and gets kind of confused and comes back. Like he, he has, he's aged four, four or five years as well as everyone else. Like he's in decline as well. And, and he's worse than he was even four years ago. Um, yeah, I so, think, but, but I think, I, I think he, first of all, I really don't think the decline is as rapid as Biden. Again, anyone that age will be declining if they're normal. But I also think in a way, of course, you could to some extent say this about both of them. I think Trump benefits for how kind of jumbled he was from the beginning. I mean, great, true, that was a great comeback. But from day one, if you like read a transcript of Trump talking, you would might have trouble understanding it. It would tend to come through a little better if you saw it, if you heard it. Uh, but he was never super coherent. Uh, yeah, I agree. What's that? I, I, think, I, mean, I think he had, you know, if there's this interview that you can find on YouTube with, he did with Oprah in like 1986 or something, he's a lot more coherent. He's like 40 years old there, and he speaks in paragraphs that are understandable. And, you know, when he ran for president, he was you know, 69 or 70. So it's, it's clear like he had had some kind of decline, but it's continued to go. But anyway, but, but you know, I just, but Hillary Clinton is not just like kind of decline. Like there's a large percentage of the population. And I didn't understand this in 2016. That hate Hillary. Hate Hillary Clinton. And this is yep. most evident in Bernie Sanders's performance relative in 2020, relative to 2016. There are a lot of people who voted for Bernie. You know, he got like around 45% of the vote in the, in the primary in 2016. And this time he got around like 30 or something. And there were a group of people, there are people, even the Democratic Party partisans voting in the primary who were like, I hate that Hillary Clinton. I just can't yeah. stand her. And we don't, is it sexism? Is it her being a dirty crook? Whatever it is, she was really radioactive for a lot of people, even de- yeah. registered Democrats, in a way that Joe Biden, Uncle Joe, you know, the, the daughter and grandpa isn't, yeah. isn't radioactive. There are some ways in which Biden, the person, has advantages over Hillary, the person as a candidate. Some ways in which he doesn't. But in any event, those are not the end of the story. There's a bunch of stuff going on in the country. Some of it works for Trump. Some of it doesn't. There's a pandemic. There's demonstrations. Sometimes there's riots. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And uh, I think you have to take the totality of that into account. Let me let me just be clear about my position. I would not bet against Biden. If 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 you ask me to bet even money, I'd probably bet. If I were just trying to make money and, and didn't care and my heart weren't in it, I'd probably um, I'd probably bet Biden. On the other hand, if you look at 538, they give Biden a 76 or 77 percent of chance of winning. I, I think that's uh, exaggerated. I would take those. I would I would bet on Trump and take those odds. Now, at three, interestingly, at three to one or something like that. You would, what's that? At three to one, you would you would take Trump. Uh, yeah, I guess that's about what it would come out to. Interestingly, the betting markets itself aren't anywhere near that. Now, I'm not saying the people who 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 bet in the betting markets are geniuses, but unlike 538, they can take into account things other than the polls, which maybe 538 does a little, but they uh, they, they 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 do more than that, and they don't they're not bound to trust the polls uh, to the extent that 538, in a sense, is. Um, 
But they're only there. It, it, it's like 53 Biden, 47 Trump. At one point, it was 51, 49. I think at one point, it's 50, 50. So the people with actual money to put on it consider Biden to have an advantage, but not a huge one. And I'd say that's about, well, actually, I, I, I might give Biden a little more of an edge than the betting markets. Are. I would be somewhere between the betting markets and, and Nate Silver, but um, I, uh, I just think it's a long way uh, from Biden being a, a super clear-cut favorite. Let me say, look, I'm a worrier. That's what I do. I worry. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, and, and, and if you're a chronic worrier, thank God you're going to be wrong sometimes, right? Because the things don't always turn out horribly. On the other hand, uh, I think I was maybe the first person on Twitter. I mean, it was really shortly after the Brexit vote that I said, you realize the implications of this for the Trump election. It's like the polls undercounted the Brexit vote. That vote is very much like the Donald Trump vote in terms of ideology and demographics. And it could be that part of what's going on, I'm not saying I said all of this exactly like this, but the drift of it was, it could be that part of what's going on is people are reluctant to admit to pollsters that they're voting for Brexit. And, and, and you might have the same reluctance with Trump. Do not count this guy out. The other thing I'll say is, you know, everyone now, and for the last few months, maybe six months, has been talking about Joe Biden's cognitive issue. I was talking about it two years ago, okay? Because it is a real issue. I can show you a tweet. It's not that I made a point of tweeting about it, but it's that like in December of 2019 or something, somebody tweeted that I had been talking about this on my, on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I chimed in and said, yeah, I, I'm not saying he has like advanced dementia, but I predict that he will have like senior moments that will be a problem. I think this is a significant issue. Now he has not had a fatal senior moment, but he's had bizarro moments like, like the, the famous, uh, Black parents need record players moment in the Democratic debates. And he's had. And, but, there's, yeah, been, there's been a still, lot of stuff. I mean, he still now, won. I mean, that's the thing. Like the, the dementia, there's some level of yeah. cognitive decline that's there. He still managed to run the table in the Democratic primary. So, so you know, yeah. there's well, various I, interpretations of that. One is that people don't see it or maybe they don't care or they're just like, I remember Joe. He was Barack Obama's friend. Let's stick with him. Yeah, well, or, or the personal qualities of the person, you know, are don't matter as much because Trump has said 10 times as many crazy things as Biden has because Trump is just talking all the time. Sure. No, he can definitely win. I will say that as far as him winning the Democratic nomination, well, I another thing I said early on is this is a horrible array of candidates. If you just wanted to go to central casting and pick out a Democratic politician who could beat Donald Trump, they are available, but they're not on this stage. Um, yes, I, and, I remember you saying that, but don't you think that Biden is the closest thing it, to that? If not for the cognitive problem, yes. If not for the perception and, and, and for how kind of old he looks in certain kinds of light and stuff. Um, yeah, it, you take away that issue. I, I mean, the thing about Biden, and again, this in a way helps him. He was always a gaffe machine. You know, right. he, he, he always <clears throat> was uh, a little undisciplined in his speech. Um and so maybe this will allow people to chalk up these, quote, gaffes to that. And um, that's fine. But uh, now this is now I'm having see, I'm having a senior moment. I forget where I was going with this. I don't, I don't know either. But I, I, OK, let's transfer to, to this. OK, so like I said, I thought everyone <laughs> was would, going somewhere. Damn it. Uh, I wait, thought everyone would win. 
Yeah, I thought Marion Williamson and Andrew Yang were. Oh, both yeah, both yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, the other thing that happened is, look, okay, so there weren't great candidates. None of them were jumping ahead. The the Democratic establishment freaked out about Bernie Sanders. And so when he showed that vulnerability, and what was it? He lost North Carolina or something. They, they jumped in on behalf of Biden. And, 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 and so it, it's not like Biden just won the beauty contest heads down. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's true in part. I think it was maybe after Nevada that they, like, Buddha Judge and, like, three other Klobuchar, like, endorsed him. Like, right, actually, it was, the like dro- it was the dropping out hours. before North Carolina, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. because, because he swept all right. the southern states. Um, I mean, right. the, the different, you know, the, the power of older black voters in the Democratic pr- primary nominating process is much more powerful than it is in the um, you know, the, election, the electoral college as a whole. But, but anyway, I think, you know, okay, putting, you know, Biden aside, like things have gotten worse in this country since January 2020 when I thought any of these people basically would have beaten Trump, like objectively worse. And I think that's another thing that I think is kind of absent from your analysis, which is like, and it's, you know, sort of like material conditions, like, like things are bad. Uh, the, I guess the economy isn't as bad as it was in, you know, April or May or something, but you know, 20, 200,000 people have died of COVID. I'm sure it's maybe even twice as much if you, you know, the, the actual number, and, uh, you know, there's, <laughs> there's unrest throughout the country. She things are going on. Um, you know, this, the, it's a, the, a, a re-election, the presidential re-election is a refer- referendum on the incumbent. And you kind of have to be in the tank to, th- to think like Trump has really done a good job. Biden is not, you know, he, he is as close to, you know, he knows how to be president. Basically, like everyone kind of knows that, that the vice president's ready to like step in. Obviously, he's lost a step, but he, he's not like, he isn't Marion Williamson. This isn't like someone off the street. If the current president was a reality TV star, star before he became president, the, you know, Biden had, yes, you know, 40 years of experience in government or whatever. Um, so I think people are just going to like go to it because like, I, I think basically, I don't think mess- messaging really matters at this point. I don't think maybe there could be some crazy gaffe that happens that could really upset things. Like, if he like fell down or at the debate or something, or like like soiled himself on stage, like you have to, have to imagine something crazy to really like disrupt how things are going. It, that would indicate that he like really is just totally lost. Um, so that could happen, but it seems unlikely. So I, I basically think you know there's not going to be like a, a killer commercial or anything. It's like like the facts of the economy and people's lives and material conditions are such that like absent some sort of crazy thing happening and certainly crazy things have happened this year already. I just think, um, okay. It, it's a, it's almost a lock for, for Biden. Okay. So you're assuming that the incumbent gets blamed for like everything. The, the, um, so there is a pandemic. Now, first of all, you know, in some countries, uh, this has helped the leaders politically. They've done a pretty good in job mo- in, in, most in a pandemic. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I, I would say with with things in general, the economy, the pandemic and so on, often it can be as important or more important whether at the time of the election people feel things are getting better or worse. That can be as important or more important than the overall magnitude of what has happened in the past. So if the economy seems to be briskly picking up and it's a little too soon to say for sure whether there will be a sense that the economy is getting better, whether there will be a sense that the pandemic's getting better. Now, one thing that seems to be definitely happening is that things are getting worse in a number of European countries in a way that may allow Trump to say, 
look, it's a problem for everybody. They're doing worse than we are right now. But it, I mean, that's that's kind of a messaging, a messaging thing. Like it, it is. Like, but, but, like, are there really receptive people out there who are like on the edge of whether or not Trump deserves re-election, and then like they're open to Trump's arg- argument? I just feel like Trump is such an extreme, you know, polarizing figure that people are basically decided, you know, what, one way or the other. It's not going to be like a clever message or a new slogan or some sort of campaign stunt or or other like media type thing is going to. Well, if, if people have decided, then. We're done. I, I mean, I mean, there's two questions is, are there a significant number of people who haven't made up their minds? And I think there are still people telling pollsters they haven't. Um, and then the question is, are the polls to be trusted? And, and this gets at the, um, the second big prevailing condition, or the third, maybe, depending on how you count, which is the social unrest. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some people who just assume the incumbent suffers from social unrest. Um, but I will say that in this case, and, and you know, I, you know, for a while, the poll, the polling seemed consistent with that. George Floyd was killed in June. Um, through July, uh, Trump's numbers were getting, if anything, worse. But then they turned around, okay, and and and, and it, it's like the the further you got from the from from the incident, the the the, the outrageously unjust killing of Floyd, and, and and the more like the protest persisted, and um and, and even in you know assumed in some cases very unruly form, um. After at some point, Trump started to do better and better and better. Since late July, he's done better and better and better. Basically, I mean, I mean it goes. That's, it goes that's up a lot of better. I mean, it's a lot of better. It's no, like going from forty to forty-three is, or something. His favorability rating is way better. It's like if you look at his underwater is it, number. Is it over fifty? No, it's just better. I mean, he's still okay, underwater. Well, I mean, he's, he's still under underwater 50. by like uh, eight points or something. Okay. Well, I mean, so but, the, but he was like underwater. He was underwater by like fifteen. Well, when when the protest started, you know, my assumption was, you know, images of people looting, black people in the streets, general like urban unrest. This helps. Like this, this will almost always help reactionary politicians because they'll say law and order. Uh, you know, we need to uh, crack down on them and you know, let's take out the batons kind of thing. Like, you know, Chicago, 1968, all over again. That's what it seemed like to me. And that didn't seem to happen. I mean, it's possible that some people got um, pushed towards Trump's law and order message um, by the, you know, by rioting, arson, looting, et cetera. But it's, it's hard to tell how many that is or whether that's ephemeral or what? I mean, there's something new that happens every day, so it, so it's hard to know. Um, so I'm, it, I mean, the 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 absurdity of, of the, like the most extreme version of this was like I think Donald Trump Jr. or something tweeted, you know, an image of like some like black people assaulting a white person, and they were like, "This is Joe Biden's America," <laughs> and, right. and people chimed in. Actually, this is Donald Trump's America. Like it's happening now. He's the president. Like the buck stops here, kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. So I don't know how people, the average person, sees that if. If they see okay, but if they see unrest in the streets, if they blame the mayor of the town, right? If they blame the cops, or if they blame okay, you know, the minorities, or what? In trying to turn this issue 
into uh, to his favor. You know, Trump has some some things to work with. One is that, uh, yeah, these mayors are Democrats. And in some cases, the mayors are like, let's face it, they're not exactly Frank Rizzo when it comes to law and order. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, uh, the um, the other is just that the whole movement that gave birth to the protests. And of course, I'm not saying that it's like Black Lives Matter, per se, that's responsible for looting or anything else. Uh, but. If you look at um, the, the, you know, which party is more closely associated with the protests that led to what disorder there is, that in some cases morphed into what disorder there is, it's clearly the Democratic Party. Right. And they are, and they are, and the leaders of the party are bound to stick with it. As I told Nikki on, on our show um, not long ago, Kamala Harris was on, uh, I think she was on the Steve Colbert, the Stephen Colbert's show. And um, she's like, these protests aren't going to let up before the election. They're not going to let up after the election. And they shouldn't. And that is just like, I don't know if they've made as good a use of that clip as they in principle could, the Trump team, that is, by, by uh, you know, cutting the ads and running them on Fox News. But um, I think that's ill-advised. And I, and I want to... I want to say two things that that, that about uh, relate two things that have really drawn my attention to this one, as I told Mickey, I was having a conversation a few weeks ago with somebody, a th- Washington think tanker. I had just taped the dialogue with him and he said to me, you know, this was off tape, so I can't identify with him, but he, he said, um, you know, I'm worried in, in where I live in the Virginia suburbs, there are so many people who, if you really press them, they are so unhappy about what the, what's the demonstrations. They are so fed up and sick of it. And I worry that they're the ones who will not tell the pollsters uh, that they're so fed up that they're going to vote for Trump, but they might. Okay. The, the second data point is I have just recently had conversations with people I know who are like progressives of unimpeachable credentials. They're almost stereotypes of progressives. If you look at like, their whole milieu, what they do for a living, what they read, what they, they're just stereotypes of progressives. And they are fed up with a lot of aspects of this. Um, they, they just, the, the demonstrations are like, like, what are they accomplishing at this point other than showing off? I mean, what's, they've got almost nothing concrete. And to some extent, this is me talking. It's like, what concrete has come from these demonstrations? I mean, I was early on saying the demonstrators they have they have a, a rare opportunity to try to get a lot of federal money, a lot of tax revenue steered toward things that benefit the inner cities, better health care for low income people, better education. They're not even trying to do that so far as I can see. Yeah, they're, I, they're getting I, all these token victories. We now capitalize the word black. That's their right. idea of a big victory. Well, I, OK, here's the thing. I don't. I, I question whether the people who are on the streets would see capitalizing black or the fact that like Pepsi Cola, you know, put up a tweet that says black lives matter. I question whether they would see that as a victory. Like if you're going out on the streets, I don't know how 
you know, sophisticated your political analysis is, but like, okay, what have they accomplished? Right? What would they brag about that they've done? What well, have they accomplished? I, I don't, I mean, I don't really know. I agree. Most, most protests essentially does nothing. Um, I, I can't think of a protest that I've ever been to that, you know, accomplished the goal. The last one was probably the March for Our Lives. Okay. But what are the goals? And, and, what, what are the goals? Are they policy goals? What, what, are, I, I'm not, no, I'm not here to defend the Black Lives Matter protests. I think most, I mean, I've been harping on for a while I'm, about how American life becoming cosplay and people, kind of like dressing up and going to the streets and fighting with, with each other. Sometimes they I mean, actually have I, guns I, and murder each other. And, but it's all, it's kind of like enacting a moral drama in which you're the hero, someone else is the villain. And, you know, you get to like post some of the pictures on Instagram afterwards. So, so I, I agree that there's a lot of like nonsense that's happening there and no, I mean, maybe if there's some, some cities that are reallocating police budgets towards, mental health counseling or something, that would be a victory, but that's probably in not going to happen. Fairness, yeah, let me just say in fairness, I don't want to, some of what comes under the rubric, defund the police, which by the way, is the worst political slogan I've ever heard. I, I agree. How counterproductive and stupid it is. But the, the um, but some of the things under the rubric actually make sense. There are things that the, the cops are doing that cops are not well suited to do, but, this brings us back to what a bad rubric defund the police is. I mean, in addition to the fact that it just most people, it just alienates because because the police, they want the police there. To... But, but but Democrats are not running on the defund the police platform. Like I probably Biden no, wants I, to increase, I increase that, money I'm for, just, for police. I'm just explaining why. I mean, let me add that my other thing about defund the police is like. That turns. I mean, this was an opportunity to get a lot more revenue directed toward the inner city, okay, and, and, and low-income communities, and not necessarily only black communities, but including low-income black communities. And the phrase defund the police, what they're saying is, no, we don't want any extra money, but, what, but if we just have some money from the police budget and move it over here, think big. Demand, say, tax the rich and give us a bunch of money to fix a bunch of things. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I the strategic goals of the protests, such as they are, I mean, I, I, this, these were not organized protests, really. I mean, BLM is not really an organized movement. Like, these are kind of spontaneous things that, that happen all over the country in a way they, they haven't ever before, I guess, mainly through, like, information technology spread the, um, spread awareness of, of these things. But anyway, I just want to say to, to, to the, um, the thing about the shy, the shy Trump voter, um, you know, the one who was, who was telling the post pollster, um, that they're going to vote for Biden, but actually they're going to vote for Trump. I don't buy that. Um, I mean, originally this was like this idea that, uh, you know, a, a voter, the, the candidate is, is a black candidate. Uh, they don't want to be seen as racist in saying they don't, they're not going to vote for the black candidate. So they lied to the poster because that makes a sort of sense. Like, like being seen as racist or being accused of racist is like, you know, up there with first degree murder in America. Um, but you know, just t- telling, uh, like lying, lying to the pollster that you you don't support Trump when you really do. I don't think there's that many people out there. I don't know even how polls are working these days. Who who's answering these polls? Who answers yeah. their phone from a stranger, like a call they don't recognize? I don't know where they're getting these numbers. I just I don't think there's a lot of people out there who are secret Trump voters and are telling the pollsters they're voting Biden. I don't think that's a thing, but 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 who knows? Um, but okay, so I guess. W- I, I guess I, it sounds like well, I haven't convinced you. That- let me let me just let me just be clear. The point the point of my little tirade about how, you know, I the, the demonstrations increasingly have me even like asking like what are they doing? Uh, is is this worth the price you pay politically 
when Republicans can circulate these uh, videos on social media of the excesses of a few demonstrators, you know, like walking around demanding that Washington diners, you know, raise their fists in support and these various things yeah. that only hurt your cause. Uh, what I, all I'm trying to do is explain to you why I suspect that the several progressives I've talked to who kind of admitted to me that they're really kind of fed up with these demonstrations may be the tip of the iceberg. And, and these are, now these are not people who would be on the fence and vote for Trump and then not tell a pollster they're voting for Trump. These are people who are voting for Biden. I just think there is much more widespread disenchantment with these protests, A, than there was a few weeks into them, and B, than, than is being publicly expressed, and that that could be bad news for Biden because uh, although Trump is the incumbent, the fact is that ideologically these protests are 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 very naturally aligned with the Democratic Party. And not I, mean, I, I agree Party. with you up until making the jump to Biden. I, I don't think that's a thing that most people aren't already like in the tank for Trump are, are going to think like, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I basically agree with you on, on the protests that, the, that they haven't accomplished much. And it seems like a lot of them at this point are kind of like protesting for protesting sake. And um and yeah, that seems to be a lot of you know, like tactical miscues that they've done if they wanted to actually accomplish things like not shockingly, not shockingly like you know the, the state often <laughs> defeats protest movements uh, because the state has a lot of power and, and protesters don't really have any power. Um, but okay, so I, I think I have not raised your you know your Biden serotonin levels um, in this conversation. So, but maybe we should move on to no. something that actually is related to what we were just talking about. Let, let me say one more thing about them. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, so what is what is Biden up in the national polls now? Like six percent? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, that's what it seems to. Mostly okay, be. so Nate Silver a while ago did a thing. You know, you know, the electoral college system makes it hard for Democrats to translate popular vote into actual victory. Obviously, he did this thing where he taught he he. Uh, he it was like a correspondence between given levels of advantage in the popular vote and chances of winning. And it was like, if Biden wins the popular vote by 2%, he probably loses the election. If he wins by, and, and I think to get him to 90% chance of winning, you had to go to 7%, I think. It was six or seven, I, I, I think seven got him to 90%, <clears throat> which means that 6% is like, uh, I don't know what it is, it's maybe 80. And so if these polls are, appreciably at all overstating what Trump will get in the popular vote, okay, the national polls, and Biden is now at 6%. Let's say they're overstating it by only one point. Uh, may not be overstating it all, but let's say it's one point. Then, you know, we're not, or even even the polls now in that case are saying we're not that far from toss-up territory. Well, I mean, I, I haven't seen that. Uh, you know, we should put, you know, we should remember that, Nate Silver and 538 did, did poorly in the last presidential election. Yeah, but he was closer. Most, than, most he others. was closer than just about anybody else. He didn't say ninety um, percent. He said seventy or something. <laughs> well, I would say things that something that's different. A couple things are different from 2016. You know, aside from Hillary not being on the ballot, uh, one is there's no major third party candidate who is attracting people as either a protest vote or through their own charisma. You're not on board with Kanye. Uh, you know, I, Kanye has only gotten or the, about six, or the Brett six Weinstein, the Brett Weinstein mm. initiative. 
You're up on I'm that? Not, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, he did this. He said neither Biden nor Trump meets with his approval. So he was going to start. He set in motion some process by which some people would choose some people. And we wound up with um, Tulsi Gabbard. And then who's the guy with the eye patch? Crenshaw? Dan, is it Dan Crenshaw? Yeah, yeah. That that's the ticket that he is promoting. Yeah, I, I can't Gabbard, believe Dan that Brett, I can't believe that Brett Weinstein is happy with Tulsi Gabbard. But hey, he got this ball rolling. <laughs> anyway, so, not, so this is a write-in. This is a write-in campaign. At this point, I think it would have to be. I don't. I don't see that taking off. Um, you know, all credit to Brett for someone who's managed to parlay a bizarre campus incident into a national media profile. But um, <laughs> it's more than I, more than I've done. I, well, you know, you're not at Evergreen State. Um, but, so the, yeah, there's no. I mean, there's there's no Jill Stein. Um, the the third party candidate is this Green Party's this guy Howie Hawkins. People aren't paying attention to him. There's a libertarian, Joe Jorgensen. People aren't paying attention to her. Um, actually, so, so I got my ballot in the mail today from the state of New Jersey, and, and her um, her running mate is someone named Spike Cohen, who I, I don't think I'm related to. But Spike is a good name. I can, I see, that. A, I can Spike see that Cohen, taking off. Spike Cohen is a name from like a you know Don DeLillo novel or something like that. Like that's great. But so I don't know who that is anyway. Someone is like Biden is going to get over fifty percent, I think. Um, and I think that 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 changes things. You know, most of the, like there were a lot of states that Trump won where he got under 50% because of, you know, five to eight percent of people voted for third party candidates. That's not going to happen this time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, so I think, you know, the, obviously the electoral college is what actually decides it. Um, but I think that Biden is basically going to replicate more or less like the Obama 2012 map um, with maybe some swaps um, and it's going to be like, it's not gonna be close in either the electoral college or the, or the popular vote. Like, I think he's going to be over 53, 55, 57%. And Trump's going to be around 43, 46%, uh, something like this that. This is like, your, this is your prediction. Yeah. If I, if I had to bet, I, I think I was, before I was saying like 55, 43, something like that. I, I like, I think we're at you want to bet even that. money that, that you are being too optimistic and that the popular vote margin will be narrower than 12. Um, I'll think about name, it. Name we, your we, amount. We can tell. We can discuss this. We can discuss this off air. But um, I think I'd give you odds on that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, the other thing is is the like late deciders and the people who don't like either. So you know, a lot of people didn't like either Trump or Hillary, and they voted for Trump. The people today who don't like Biden or Trump say they're going to vote for Biden uh, because if you don't like Trump, you've had four years of Trump, um, and why not throw the bum out? and 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 try the other guy i mean i think that essentially i think that is what it comes down to is referendum on the incumbent throw the bum out mm-hmm. you know people are sick of all this nonsense kind of thing and you know I, i've been saying for a while return to normalcy is a good campaign slogan the pandemic and the protests have made it so that you know it seems unclear where whether we will return to normalcy anytime soon but just ending the constant nonsense and craziness of trump I think it appeals to I, I, no, I agree. more of the population. I agree. In fact, I think Biden should adopt that more fully in a tonal way. I think he should be a little calmer and, and seem a little less freaked out and hyperbolic about Trump. He should just, he should just feel like a sedative. Well, this is, this is the point Mickey was making that, that Biden seems to have like literally mm-hmm. slowed in how he's talking and like how he's acting. And that makes it so that he's, less like getting his back up or something or feeling like he needs to 
prove himself, which way in the past like caused him to make up stuff about his uh, biography and and tell other strange lies. Tell and, people he can do more push-ups than them. Right. I mean, actually, you know, the kind of thing where he like, which I guess this is not really happening anymore, but the like one-on-one interactions with the voters. And then when he found some, some voter who was like being an asshole or something, and he was like, screw you, pal, or something, or like, <laughs> I think no. that was actually pretty endearing. Um, and there are, you know, Chris Christie kind of used that sort of thing of like yeah. arguing with annoying voters and some people like that but i guess that kind of one-on-one stuff isn't really happening because of the pandemic dog-faced pony-faced what's the expression yeah something about a pony-faced something dog-faced pony it's some john wayne line i love it i can't remember but i love it (laughs) okay so we've obviously gone long in this topic but there's one more i wanted to bring up and maybe we can't maybe this is too capacious for the time we have remaining but it's uh it's the theory of theory of bobism that i've secretly developed while listening and watching to you uh, speak uh, and, and write uh, over the past dozen or so years. It's about me or? Well, it's about your, your ideology. And and it's basically like, um, you know, you care a lot about backlash. And in foreign policy, um, you know, the the blob and, and, and people who advocate foreign intervention and adventurism don't think about backlash. Uh, they, they think like we'll be welcomed as liberators, that kind of stuff. And, you know, so the foreign policy since 2001 has been clear that there's been a lot of times where people should have been more worried about potential backlash and, and how the people on the ground would have, would have seen us instead of how we see ourselves or how we wish to be seen or something like that. Um, and I think there's, but there's also a domestic parallel in, in your thinking that I see, which is like mm-hmm. doing, you know, what should like, if, if there is a President Biden, what should he do in terms of policy uh, that might potentially spark some sort of backlash on the right? Or, you know, when you say something to rile up your side, you don't think that it's also riling up the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you've talked about this in terms of social media, like, um, you know, retweeting something that makes you feel good, but someone else sees it and they, they get just as angry as you feel good. And then the, the, like people are more and more opposed to each other. Um, does this, does this, uh, does this re- re- uh, ring as true? Oh yeah, no, I, 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 um, I mean, two things that I stress in both foreign policy and in domestic politics are one is cognitive empathy, which isn't to say feeling people's pain or even caring about them particularly, but at least trying to put yourself in their shoes enough to understand how they see the world, understand how like, uh, you know, if you're an Iraqi and like these foreigners come in with guns, you might not immediately warm up to them, even if you were not a big fan of your, your own leader. Um, the, uh, and then second and relatedly is I try to emphasize, uh, the, you know, the value of, uh, at least trying to anticipate blowback, uh, from, uh, activities. And these two things are related. I mean, I think, um, because, uh, let's just take the resistance. I mean, as you know, the, the, the precursor, the, the predecessor of the non-zero newsletter available at nonzero.org was the mindful resistance newsletter. And there mm-hmm. the idea was that what was being called the resistance was not being mindful enough, not just in the everyday sense of kind of deliberate enough, you know, uh, and, and, and circumspect enough. And there was a tendency to just, react emotionally and retweet what it felt good to retweet and not give any real thought to how it would be how certain memes getting momentum within the progressive uh, 
or the resistance ecosystem might play out in the other in the rival ecosystem and whether they might not in some cases actually strengthen Trump's narrative. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think one reason people in the resistance often didn't give much thought to that is they had this stereotype of Trump supporters as just being these, like, they're all like racists. They're all like, you know, they're hopeless. Uh, and in truth, it's a much more complex thing than that. Different Trump voters are motivated by different things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, you're making, if you're connecting my domestic political strategy to my foreign policy views, you're making valid connections. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, my, the Mindful Resistance Project that we worked on uh, was a lot of that was about trying to think about how to act effectively without sort of like sparking a backlash mm-hmm. that would like overwhelm whatever actions you're taking. And, you know, it, I don't know if we had, if we really accomplished anything with that project, but um, I think like, you know, I'm basically on board with you when it comes to foreign policy and, and there's been so many disasters in American foreign policy over the past two decades in which clearly like people didn't look at things from the other perspective I, I mean, I think, but I, as I think more domestic policy, it's like the the, the country is so divided. You know, there's there's something that's going to rile people up, no matter what happens in America. Like every day, like I think you made this point recently that like Twitter is a way to find like the worst thing that happened in America every day, and like everyone learns about it. Well, well, um, the most the most egregious behavior in the other tribe today will be circulated within the, the ecosystem of your right. tribe. And sometimes, I mean, and sometimes it's, it's not, it doesn't have a political valence or something. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, there was a video that went viral recently of people in a, waff, a waffle house, uh, the customers started fighting with the employees and, and like, you know, it's just like people in their worst moments, like, you know, yeah. now someone, we see this, everyone can see this in their the little device they hold in their pocket. Um, but it's, I, I, I guess it, my critique would just be like, you know, when, you know, when there's a large part, like Trump is going to find something or someone like Trump is going to find something to be mad about, no matter whether it's like something real or something he like mostly invents out of like some random incident. And like Fox News is always going to have something or other that's, that it, it like gins up. Maybe it probably has some basis in fact, but it's probably like overinterpreted in some way yeah. to keep its viewers watching and angry. And like the, the, the mechanics of the system are such that, you know, that's, that's what people have revealed that they actually want. They want to like be angry and staring at their TV all the time or staring at Twitter all the time. Um, so it's like, what, you know, should, how valid is it thinking about, you know, your, your own personal actions and you're just like one person and what you're retweeting and stuff, or when it c- comes to, different policy moves, you know, like they're, they're, they're calling um, the Democratic Party, uh, at least the, the, the message from the White House over the past 72 hours is that the Democratic Party is the anti-Catholic party because Dianne Feinstein said something kind of mean to this woman who's, who's likely going to be nominated, Coney Barrett, um, about her religion. And, and you just see this like distributed. And, and so there, there's like this very thin read of truth to it. But yeah. it's mostly nonsense. And of course, Joe Biden is Catholic. Um, so it'd be pretty weird that the anti-Catholic party nominates a Catholic for, for, to be president. Um, so yeah, there's just like the, the, the outrage machine and stuff is always ready to be ginned up, like basically no matter what. And if it wasn't anti, 
Catholicism stuff, they just pick something else, you know, and well, run with it. And like everyone on their side would like clap and, and go along with it, and everyone on the other side would be mad. And- yeah, I, I mean, first of all, you could make the same case about foreign policy. There are always going to be people. I mean, you know, I, I in my foreign policy writing, I used to invoke the phrase kind of jihadist recruiter to just imagine this person who's trying to recruit like jihadist terrorists abroad, and do you really want to give them fodder? by like doing more drone strikes and killing more civilians, whether inadvertently or not, and so on. And you could say, look, those recruiters are always going to have their talking points. They're always going to find something that they can complain about. So what's the difference? And, you know, if you believe that uh, in both cases, in the domestic case and the foreign policy case, the power of propaganda is so strong that there's no real connection between the power of propaganda and the actual empirical base, the actual factual basis that it purports to have, well, then, yeah, all bets are off, and it's kind of hopeless, and I think I may just commit suicide now if things are so (laughs) bad. But I I don't think things have gotten um, quite that that bad. And I I think – I mean, for example, it is just – like, surely you would agree that there are things Kamala Harris or Joe Biden could be seen saying now that would help Trump. Possibly yeah. even that very Kamala Harris thing of they should keep go, they should keep protesting forever. That, that could be used to hurt Biden plausibly. So there's a difference between her saying it and me saying it, right? Me saying it in and of itself is not going to make the difference. On the other hand, what makes a politician like Kamala Harris or Joe Biden inclined to say these things can be the groundswell of support for them on social media. They pay attention to the grassroots, to the base. So when I'm preaching in the Mindful Resistance newsletter about memes we should or should not get off the ground, not that I preached about that one in particular, but there are ones I preached about, um, then now, now granted, it's just one newsletter. The chances of it being the snowflake that causes the avalanche, or or, or in any other sense being desi- de- uh, decisive, may be slim. And I may be deluded to think there's any point in my even persisting in life in trying to change anything. That that's totally possible. I, in fact, I believe it myself in my more sober moments. But but the the fact that what does build up momentum on social media and become kind of a a democratic-based talking point does have consequence once it starts getting, uh, the you know, kind of the more prominent the venue in which it's circulated, the more consequence it has. Like if you can get an MSNBC anchor to say it, then it's going to have more power as a talking point for Trump, right? I stand by that. I think in that sense, what happens on social media matters. Um, And so it's worth uh, trying to preach to people about what you think are the smart things to have happen on social media. I mean, I'll give you, this isn't a great example, but I did say in the Mindful Resistance newsletter, like during Russiagate, and I could dig it up and show it to you. I said, look, I'm agnostic on Russiagate. But I will say this, we don't have a smoking gun yet. And, and this was early on. 
uh, long before the the Mueller report actually came out. Mm-hmm. Certainly, a number of, a number of months before. Um, I said we don't have a smoking gun, and it's like I don't. You know, what is the point of us every time there's any kind of circumstantial evidence seizing on and saying, aha, this is it and doing this huge thing because we're just raising the bar of expectations. And, and if we don't wind up delivering, it's going to, it's going to be a loss for us and it's going to be something Trump's going to seize on and use. And, and I think that has basically happened. I think that has basically happened. And, and that's a case where look, Obviously, I didn't win. I mean, the Mindful Resistance newsletter failed to carry the day. Imagine that. But, um, but I stand by that sermon. And, and, and that's an example of just being mindful and just like stop and think about it. it, it of course, uh, I'm human. It made me feel good every time there was some piece of evidence that seemed to indicate that maybe there was something, you know, about about Russiagate, but but just stop, divorce yourself from your emotions for a second, stop and reflect on what the smart strategy is. And and I think in retrospect, the smart strategy was not to obsess about this nearly to the extent that we did and to just flat out overstate the power of the evidence we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, emotionalism definitely rules the day on social media, especially Twitter. Um, if you want to get something to go viral, you say it's the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world or, or, you know, there's just like the, like it's like a machine for revving up emotional responses and, and retweeting is often an emotional response. Um, I wonder what you think, have you, I don't, I don't think I've talked about QAnon uh, at all. Are, are you familiar with, with QAnon? Oh, totally. Okay. I'm, well, not, I'm not that familiar, but it, but it is, oh, it seems like over the last month it's become much more famous. Like like three months ago, I would have said, I've heard the name, remind me. But, you know, yeah, I know. It's this idea that, right, that the the deep state is populated by pedophiles and only Trump can save us from them, right? Yeah, it's this kind of, probably most people have heard of it. It's this kind of like postmodern conspiracy theory that envelops all other conspiracy theories. And it seems to be, I mean, if you if you ask me where the, the energy on the right is right now, it's more with Q, QAnon than with Trumpism. Um, and, and Trump is eventually going to go away, but I don't know if QAnon ever will, because it's just this like hermetically sealed container. But I mean, it, it, it points to a sort of like postmodern post-fact world in which, you know, people are like playing detective and finding these clues and, um, making up these things. And, 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 and then it like leaks into the real world. And uh, there's a woman who's, who got the Republican nomination for, uh, a congressional seat somewhere in South Carolina, maybe, um, who is, a professed QAnon believer. And so um, it does seem to also attract people who maybe weren't really politically aware beforehand. And then they like hear something about it and then they kind of like fall down a rabbit hole sort of thing. But it it does, I mean, it's, it's bizarre and, and, and scary and dumb. Um, And, but it also like, I don't know, like maybe it's like a vision of things to come is like this, just this like, world it's that worrisome. is totally totally divorced from the real world it's worrisome i was just watching this netflix uh documentary the social dilemma which i don't think is all that great but it's about this it's about how social media have a number of pernicious effects including this and at one one point i didn't totally appreciate is that these algorithms they're not necessarily designed to do this but they have the effect of if you show an interest in any kind of conspiracy theory 
then 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 the social media will tend to to bring other conspiracy theories to your attention uh-huh. um and uh and you know i mean even even if you you know there are conspiracy theories that are not crazy and so but to whatever extent you you kind of like epstein like something weird maybe was going on mm-hmm. jeffrey epstein but like if you're interested in that because people are interested in that are more likely than average to be interested in certain other conspiracies social media will show you those other and anyway <clears throat> it's concerning i mean the the good news is that we're just the, the social media thing is pretty new we haven't adjusted um there are things you may be able to do either with policy or with you know or that things just people things people do just for their own mental health that make things better um but yeah it, it's the rate of change is is uh, is itself uh, in some ways alarming the rate of technological change makes it hard for us to adjust you know in time uh to avert catastrophe yeah, and I, I think, I mean, the, the information technology angle, which you've been writing about for a long time, like, you know, the fact that George Floyd's murder slash killing is, you know, whenever we, someone says murder on blogging heads about George Floyd, there's people in the comments who are angry about that. But George Floyd's death was recorded and then, like, instantly spread all across the world, and people felt a strong kinship with this event, even if they lived far away or were a different race. Uh, and it's just like, you know, this is not how most of human history or even like post like printing press history <laughs> went where it, it, like either you were um, you only like saw a limited number of people in your life or like in your family and small community or like gatekeepers controlled what information you know you got and the gatekeepers were like the people in the publishing companies or the radio mm-hmm. you know radio or television or whatever and so certain things like probably wouldn't you know, maybe they wouldn't have aired this video because it was traumatic or, or whatever. And well, there wouldn't have been the video. The video right, someone, someone has the camera in their pocket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, um, that's that's in a way the biggest. I mean, the two things: the the fact that every event on planet Earth is recorded in video, a, and b, we have a system for transmitting it to the people who will be most emotionally aroused by it. I mean, any, I mean, any, any uh, decent person would be troubled by that particular video, but leave that aside, just, you know, videos of, of people freaking out about wearing masks in a supermarket, whatever. Yeah. There, there, there is some group of people that, that will be deeply uh, uh, antagonized by that. Some who won't. Well, the video will get to the ones who will be deeply antagonized by it. This is, this is a recipe for trouble. Yeah. Um, I actually have asked this question to a couple other guests over the past couple months. Um, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and all social media disappears, the, the rest of the internet basically stays the same, but social media or the social aspects of other websites, you know, magically disappears and they can't, they can't come back. Would you do that? Do you think that'd be a better world if we didn't have social media? That's a tough one. Um, Cause you know, it's, it, because, like, look, the omnipresence of video cameras, and, and I don't know if people appreciate this. I assure you, it has already significantly reduced the amount of police brutality. I told this story to Mickey, uh, I, but I forget if it was in the Parrot Room, which is only for patrons only. By the way, we should plug the Non-Zero Foundation Patreon, which is different from the Parrot Room Patreon. But anyway, 
give to the Patreon of your choice. Uh, the, the, the non-zero foundation Patreon supports all the blogging heads and meaning of life content and the newsletter. Um, the, uh, and that's patreon.com slash non-zero foundation. You, I could not have said it better. <laughs> um, the, uh, Uh, in Miami in mid-1990s, I was in a cab with Mike Kinsley. We were at the uh, Miami Book Fair, and, and this cop uh, was escorting this young Latino guy. He was about 13 years old, was causing no trouble at all. I guess he had done something to piss the cop off, but he was now totally not resisting. Trump, the, the cop just had, had him by the back of the neck. And this is like a really big, busy street, like a like a, a four lane street, two 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 lanes in each direction, maybe with an island in the middle. The cop marches the guy along the sidewalk, trips him intentionally, so he'll go down to the ground, gets on top of him, and just starts beating the shit out of him, just punching him in the face repeatedly. And it's like Mike and I looked at each. I remember Mike said. I'm not sure who to root for there. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I'm not either. I mean, actually, I think I am. But uh, but the point is, nothing was going to happen to that cop because nobody was going to video it, and they were going to file this dishonest report. Right. And 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 the kid didn't have a leg to stand on. Cops just cannot get away. And first of all, not all cops are bad to begin with by any means, but bad cops can't get away with abuse the way they could. So that's good. And and social media is is an important part of the process by which these cops are kept. There's all kinds of good things. It, it's doing the pros and cons is a hard thing. What what the one thing I would say is I I fear that things are changing faster than uh, than we can adapt to. In, in a you know without the possibility of really significant and painful disruption. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I did a, a interview with uh, Peter Moskos a couple months ago when towards the beginning of the protest movement, and I think he noted that like uh, you know it's, if you look at the, the like the the cops in New York City were like discharging their weapons like three times a day in the like 1970s and you know it wouldn't even like they didn't even have to account for like the bullets like where the bullets ended up or something like that like no they just claimed that the guy was a threat yeah so things have improved at the same time we're we're talking right very soon after the um you know the brianna taylor uh you know lack of verdict or lack or uh, charges were were only being filed against one officer so that whole that whole story and, and catastrophic disaster is, is, is complicated, but, um, you know, it still, it still remains the case. It's very hard to fire a cop, you know, let alone like charge them with a crime. And it, so it, 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 it really happens, but uh, yeah, I think so that, you know, it, it, there definitely are positives and negatives, um, when it comes to social media, I, I was thinking that I would, uh, you know, I would, um, snap my finger or wave my magic wand and uh, make it all disappear. Um, and I think I, I think it's it's, it's a co- close call, but I think it has distorted things in a in a more of a negative way than it's it's improved things on net. Um, you know, it's it, it's hard to it's hard to say. Uh, I mean, look, I, I'm you know I have an old person's bias, which is that things seemed in some sense more secure or something when I was young, even though it was a period of tremendous upheaval. I mean, when I was watching Walter Cronkite on TV and you had these several like arbiters of truth that the entire country respected on the different networks, 
this was, I was living uh, for three years as a kid. I was living in San Francisco in 1968, 69, and 70. And if you go back and look at the number of bombings taking place, and I don't remember them. I mean, I remember that the weathermen were bombing, but but I don't remember all these bombings mm-hmm. that, that people say were happening, you know, every damn week. But it was wild. Uh, and, uh, and, and yet, I don't remember. I remember it as, as kind of nice just because that's the way you remember the past or you remember certain parts of your life or something. So I'm not really fit to judge. Uh, but, you know, there's just a lot of this that, I mean, the one thing you're not going to stop is technological progress. So we just got to figure out a way. Right. And I guess this gets towards, you know, the like mindfulness and Buddhism stuff. Like, can we um, improve our, <laughs> the, the way our minds work? Uh that, so that we can handle handle these technological changes. I'm, that, I'm a believer in mindfulness being uh, an important tool you can use to reconcile social media with mental health and with uh, less in the way of political strife, yes. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, would you advise, I guess this is a, a related question to the previous one, would you advise people just like, just get off social media unless you need to do it for your job or something? Like it's, it's just, it's, funny, it's just, I, just rec- I just recorded this thing with Josh Summers. It'll be on, on my show. He he um, He brought that up. I think if that's, if you feel you need it, if it works fine, uh, as I was telling Josh, I got a new smartphone a few, few months ago and did not put Twitter on it. I haven't yet. So I still have Twitter, but on a laptop only. And that's a moderating thing. Um, uh, yeah, if that works for you, as, as I said to Josh, I think the, the optimal thing is to be on social media, but be mindful enough or whatever the word you want to use, uh, to, to, to engage productively on behalf of your values. If you're a progressive, um, you know, be able to have a civilized conversation with a Trump supporter. Um, don't, don't freak out. Think before retweeting. Are you really helping your cause ultimately by retweeting this as opposed to just increasing the following of whoever created the share bait? Um, and, uh, I think that's the best of all possible worlds, but look, if you're going nuts, yeah, pull the plug. <laughs> um, well, pull the plug. That seems like a good place to end this I'm conversation. A, I'm a master at the concluding segue. I've been doing this a lot of years. Okay. Well, Bob, thanks for coming on culture determined. Um, I think for the first time, I actually can't remember. If we, I know I was on your show. Well, we, once, we've but... done dialogues. Uh, yeah, so the, I'm the not comment, sure if we've done the, your show. I don't think so. I've done one on, at least one on yours. And then there was the comment court ones we did which have been lost to the sands of time um and hopefully they were recovered have they yeah they never got transferred over years and years ago and maybe they exist on some hard drive somewhere um uh but yeah but so thanks for coming on uh robert writer on twitter on twitter I guess you're not on it that much anymore because it's not on your phone. So no, I no, I, I do it on the laptop. I check in. I, I'm not as I was never super prolific, and I'm I'm less so now. But I'm there. I, I encourage following me everywhere. <laughs> okay, we plug plenty of other stuff, and the links will be below to those various things. Yeah, rate and review us, whether it's REA show or mine, <laughs> or 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 even the, there's a blogging heads feed you can rate and review if you like us. Yes, both. rate and review all of them. Okay, so thank you, Bob. Thank you, viewers and listeners. Thank you. you All right.